Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of Amsterdam Talk Season 3, Episode 21. Today I bring in, you know, another special guest all the way from the West. No, you're from the East Coast, right? Right. East Coast. From the East Coast, from Maine, correct? Yep. Maine, all the way from Maine, bringing in Mr. Joshua Shea. I'm thinking last week when we had the young lady from California last week. Uh, so how you doing? Before we get started, tell us about yourself, Joshua. Uh, like you said, my name is Joshua Shea. I am from Maine, born here and raised here. The only other place I've ever lived was uh, Tokyo, Japan for a year. And uh, I am I was a pornography addict for 24 years. I was an alcoholic for 22 years. Uh, but nine years ago, I got clean from both at the same time. Since then, I've written four books about pornography addiction and betrayal trauma. I've given hundreds of interviews about the two topics. Um, and uh, I currently now work as a pornography addiction and betrayal trauma coach full time. Mm. So I guess we should say you said for 24 years. So how did you get started into this life in that lifestyle of porn? Well, um, for people who are truly porn addicts, um, it I have a very uh, typical story that involves abuse when I was a child. I had both sexual abuse at the hands of a babysitter. I also had some uh, mental and emotional abuse at the hands of my grandmother um, when I was when I was very young. At 12 years old, my older cousin showed me some hardcore pornography magazines. And it didn't take more than 10 seconds for me to be addicted. And I didn't know why at that point. And I didn't know why for a long time. But going through recovery, I have come to understand and, and agree with uh, the idea that what I saw on those pages was very similar to what was happening to me when I was a kid or what I was forced to do to others as a kid. And it kind of normalized it. And that's how I was able to deal with the sexual trauma of what happened to me was through normalizing it with porn to the point where that abuse became something I didn't remember for many years. Oh, so you said you even did some things that you did some things to people. I was forced to do some things to people when I was a child. Yes. Oh, uh, oh. at that babysitter's house, um, I was, I was forced to do things to, uh, other children and I was forced to do things to adults of a sexual nature. And this was when I was, you know, like between mm. three, four and about six. And nobody ever like police or anything that was ever called in this situation? Nope, nope. I was scared to death. We There was an incident once where she got really angry with me for telling my parents about something completely uh, uh, pointless that happened there, had nothing to do with the abuse, and she went crazy. And the I can look back now, recognize that that babysitter, who was probably in her mid-50s, uh, was very messed up herself mentally. I should not have been taken care of by someone like that. And that extended to the members of her family as well, who would sometimes participate in their own ways. 
um, or force some of the other children who were being taken care of at the time to do these things. She was in her fifties. Wow. Yeah. When you say it, I'm thinking, I'm thinking 18, 20, 25, between the 18 to 30 demographic. I was 50. That that's, that that's surprising right there. Yep. She, uh, she never wanted anything done to her, but she would do things to the kids and she would have the kids do things to each other. And there was one incident that I remember uh, with the with her daughter, who was about twenty, uh, mm-hmm. that uh, I think was the first day of my porn addiction. Um, truly, was was having a uh, incident with the daughter, um, and yeah, it was it was hell. You know, I just tried to make it to the next day. I just this is the place where I created my survival instincts, which were not strong because I was a little kid. And I just basically shut my eyes, do what I'm told, and try to get on to the next day. Okay. So as you got older, was your consumption escalating? Was it really like getting out of control as you got older? Yeah. Well, like I said, I started as I started at 12 years old, seeing it for the first time. I was hooked immediately. By the age of 13, I had found a video store near my house. Uh, that was before Blockbuster and Movie Gallery and these big ones. It was just a little independent place. I'm sure you remember them. And yeah. they had that typical back room with the mm-hmm. you know swinging saloon doors or the the or beads the beads, hanging the beads. from the ceiling. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. That's that's something that only those of us who were around in the late '80s and early '90s are going to remember. Okay, you got to come um, there, but I. <laughs> I went in there one day, you know, just very brave, walked in there, grabbed a couple of tapes, brought them to the front, and uh, they rented them out to me. And at that point, uh, it was still a few months away when I was 14. I got drunk for the first time and and pretty much became an alcoholic right away. And then between the ages of 14 and 17 or 18, when I wasn't uh, doing something after school, in high school, I would go to the video store, rent two porno tapes. I would go to a convenience store that I found that would sell me beer, another one of these little independent deals, and mm-hmm. I would get anywhere from two to six beers, and I'd bring them home, and every day before my parents came home, I would watch one movie and have half the beers, and then after they went to bed, I would... Uh, watch the other movie and have the other half of the beers, which by that point were warm because they had been hiding under my bed. Mm. That's my next question. I was going to say, were you in your room or were you just in the living room? No, I was in my room. I, I was a big film geek when I was a kid. I wanted to go to college for film. So my parents had no problem having a TV and VCR in my room because they knew I loved movies. Okay. So imagine in round since you're saying about late 80s, early 90s. So I'm looking at Toby Kai, Janet Jack, me, uh, who else? With Den- Vanessa Del Rio, Ron Jeremy, those type of people, those yep. individuals Christy that were Canyon in your- was a big one. Um, I remember her because she was my favorite. Um, and yeah, no, there was it was it was the all stars of, of the late 80s, early 90s. Before okay, the internet, so, yeah. Before now, it's 
Now, that's the thing now, since you have this internet now, and what kind of, you know, throws me off, since you bring it up to modern times, how young ladies and men, young ladies and young men, well, even older people, they get paid on OnlyFans, but the fact is, it's so much free porn on the internet to actually watch. Like, um, is that basically because they, they're emotionally detached from something, where they d- decide to buy this instead of just looking at it for free? It can be a ton of different reasons. With OnlyFans, um, a lot of time, the two biggest reasons why people will spend money is because, number one, they know the person and they just want to see what they look like naked. Or the person on the the, uh, content producer gives what's called the girlfriend or boyfriend experience. And you get there's a lot of money to be made in that which doesn't even always have to do with sex or nudity. It's just basically treating the person on the other end of the computer like they're your boyfriend or girlfriend for a certain amount of time. And there are people who will spend $75 an hour, $100 an hour for this boyfriend or girlfriend experience of just hanging out and talking like friends. You know, there there are a lot of very uh, lonely people out there. And... When you're talking to somebody, it is more intimate than when you're just watching a video on a screen. When you're talking to somebody, it's interactive. It's, it's, it's as close to being there as you can get. So I guess for these guys, spending the money is, is worth it. Um, you know, I can proudly say, aside from some magazines and then some strip clubs in different parts of the world, including Amsterdam, I never spent a dime on it. Mm. So, so you speak on this boyfriend and girlfriend mentality, but now when it's actually a boyfriend and girlfriend is in a relationship and that person's watching, we're going to see the man, he's watching so evil, could be watching so much porn. Does that make you become less intimate with your partner? Damn near becoming damn desensitized from a physical touch, but the only touch that you know is yours? Um, well, that's, not actually what causes the desensitization uh, when it comes to addiction. And what I have to explain with addiction, Rod, is that addicts don't watch for the same reason that people who just watch porn recreationally do. Um, After five or six years, I wasn't doing it for the sexual thrill. I wasn't doing it to see naked people. I wasn't doing it to really anything to do with sex. I was doing it because it was the only way, aside from alcohol, that I could get a blast of dopamine in my head. I could get a blast of oxytocin in my head. I didn't. I didn't care what I looked at. You give. You give me somebody. You know, peeing on somebody. You give me somebody naked on a beach. You give me. You know, three trans people going at it. It didn't matter to me what it was. I just needed to get those chemicals in my head. And that's the difference between someone who is an addict and someone who's a regular user. You know, they're right. thinking about genres. They're thinking about how good looking the actress or actor is. Um, it's it's not that way for me. Like I said, the last two or three years before I got clean, I could not tell you five seconds after I'd finished what I had watched because it didn't matter. Damn. It just mattered that I got those chemicals because by that point, 
I felt like, and my body and mind told me I needed those chemicals multiple times a day, whether it was from alcohol or porn, I needed those chemicals multiple times a day or I would die. That's what it felt like. Right. Okay. So long as you got your dopamine, basically your sensation, it was, it was fine. You just, like we'll say in lamest terms, you got your hit. And you were I good. got my hit. Yeah, these these are the, you know, we, we can call them drugs if you want, because these are they're just man. They're they're natural chemicals that are in your head. And we are not wired as humans to get them in the levels that we can get them with pornography. We are supposed to only have these kinds of chemicals run through us in the amount that they run through us when we're actually having sex. That's what right. our bodies were designed for. You know, you go back 50, 60 years, your great grandfather, my great grandfather, they saw less porn in their lifetime than you and I could watch in an afternoon. And then we could watch it again tomorrow and again the next day and again the next day. And having those chemicals flood your brain while it feels good early on, it begins to basically fry your neuroreceptors in the pleasures, pleasure zone areas, and you need to have more and more. The porn needs to get more exotic, like, you know, very vanilla, two people going at it was not going to get me off in the last 10 years. It had to be some of those weirder genres when you look yeah, at a porn more, site and you see more like- More like uh, BDSM and things like that, kind of yeah. sadistic almost. Yeah. And any, anything, yeah, basically, you know, and anything you'd find on one of the big, you know, well-known commercial, uh, porn sites, I would watch, like I said, I didn't, I didn't care what the nationality of the person was. I, I really, a lot of times didn't care about the gender. I didn't care about anything as long as I could find something that would provide me with my chemicals that day. Right. Okay. So what are your, what are the signs of porn addiction? Well, signs of porn addiction, uh, there are 11 symptoms of it. And I believe that if you have three or more that you need to really get it looked at, uh, right off the bat, questioning whether you have an addiction is a good sign of a, of a problem because you don't question whether you have a vacuuming addiction. You don't question whether you have a washing the dishes addiction. But if you're questioning if you have a porn addiction, there might be something there. Um, if you plan your day around your pornography use, if it's part, it's if it's in your mind all day, that's a big example. When you're actually using, if you lose track of time, you say, I'm going to sit down for 20 minutes and look, and then an hour goes by. Mm -hmm. Or if you, a, another big one among uh, addicts is looking for a perfect piece of pornography to finish with. Uh, looking for something that's going to give them the biggest dopamine hit and that search and that hunt for that perfect piece of pornography. Um, and then there are things like you would rather stay home and watch pornography than go do things with friends, hang out with family. You choose porn over everything else. Um, and eventually, you know, like, like I said, eventually it gets to the point where the reason that you're using, it doesn't even make you feel better anymore. You know, those chemicals aren't giving you pleasure. It's like they're oxygen. They're just keeping you alive. Um, so and that's a, that's a big sign. 
once your what happens then once you once you go from the dopamine to just straight oxygen what happens now it's like what what's the next step like how do you get off like how do you feed your addiction you have to continue to find material that will do it or you start to do something else a lot of people who are addicts start to go to uh escorts a lot of addicts do go to uh, prostitutes. A lot of addicts do start having affairs. Um, that's really, you know, the next thing is from taking it to uh, taking it from the screen to the real world. Um, at the very end, I could see my escalation because at the very end of my time, I was in camera rooms all the time because mm. that was more interactive. You could actually you know, communicate with the person on the screen. And uh, I never paid on those. I never brought those people private to, you know, get, get them to do stuff just for me. But that interactive part, and this was, you know, nine years ago, where actually I probably started using these 10, 11 years ago. Uh, this was when cam sites were very new and uh, very novel. And I'd never seen anything like that before. So like I said, my last my last times using pornography were these campsites because they were new, they were different, the people were acting different. You know, you can basically shop for whoever you want to see, whatever you want them to do, mm -hmm. um, and that escalated into into. Uh, I I would not have been surprised if that escalated into something else had I not went and gone help got help shortly before that. Okay, so. Before we go on another one, what made you decide to go and get help? I was the owner of a magazine company, a publishing company here in Maine. Um, I was one third owner. Uh, I had uh, two other owners who didn't work there. They just owned it. I worked there day to day. And uh, my employees started to complain and rightfully so to the other two owners that I was drunk almost all day at work. Um, mm. I, like I mentioned also, I, I was a, I was an alcoholic for 22 years and I was drinking four or five times a day and including at work because nobody could stop me. I did it right in the open because I was the boss. No one was going to stop yeah. me. And, uh, our revenues started to fall. Things started to fall through the cracks People were getting really angry at me. So the other two owners showed up one day and fired me. Mm. And it was within a few days that there was a quasi intervention. And by the end of that week, I was out in California at rehab for alcohol. And I, I was there for 10 weeks. Um, and then I came back, did a lot of therapy. Then I went to rehab for porn and sex addiction in Texas a few months later, even though I'd been clean for several months, mm -hmm. I went there and that's where I started to do trauma work and learned about the trauma behind our addictions. And that's mostly the work that I do with my clients now. Um, but I had to, I basically had to leave my house and go away for the porn and sex or porn and sex rehab. That was a seven weeks day. Mm -hmm. um, I had to go, get away from everything and kind of just relearn how to be a decent person. Mm, so through all of this, there was no wife, girlfriend, children 
You know, there was, there absolutely was. Uh, my, I had been married for uh, 11 years when mm -hmm. this happened. Um, and I had kids. One was in fourth grade. One was in ninth grade at the time um, when I got fired. And at that point, we, everybody just thought it was alcohol okay. um, that was causing the problem. And it wasn't until I actually went to rehab for porn and sex addiction. That was when I started admitting it to people because I knew I couldn't just disappear and uh, I also, at that point, said that to myself, if it went well, I would probably write a book about it because there weren't any books about this stuff back mm -hmm. then, eight, nine years ago. So I knew going off to the porn rehab that if I was going to write a book about it afterwards, I was going to have to start being open about it. If I was, you know, if I was going to get interviewed for my book on a show like this, I would have to come out and be honest about it. And eventually after that rehab, I did get that book out about two years later. I thought that's the only thing I would ever do, but I got deluged from partners who wanted to know how I got better because they had partners who were porn addicts. So I actually wrote another book with a friend of mine who's a therapist for the partners of the people who have porn addiction. If and this how wouldn't be with Dr. Debbie, would it? Uh, Debbie Silver? Yes. Yes. I from, Hard, from Hard in the Hill? Yep. That was Dr. Debbie was where I went and got my certification for uh, betrayal trauma. And I worked with her for about eight months. Um, but I, I haven't worked with her for about two years now. Um, and uh, yeah, it just took off. The, the podcast started calling. The TV shows started calling. And I realized that this was something that people really needed. I didn't have a problem talking about my own story and uh, I wanted to be a resource for the type of person who was in my space one or two years before I quit, who could find okay. something, who could find a resource, who could find somebody to talk to. And so that's, that's why I, I came and did this. Got you. So, when all of this started coming out, you said they thought it was just a drinking. How did your partner handle this? You know, as far as like, was the concern, was there any concerns from your loved ones when this started to happen? Well, not the, I mean, I know the alcohol part, but when everything else unfolded. My wife, when she found out, she was not shocked because she knew I looked at porn. She just had no idea how much I looked at porn or, and she had no idea of the origin story of when I started looking at porn. Um, mm -hmm. She had that typical feeling that, you know, many women have where boys will be boys and once in a while they want to look at it. Um, right. She didn't realize that I was using it basically for medication. Right. Hmm. So you use it for medication. So, so after all of this, she, she stayed, she's still there. Yep. Yep. Oh, okay. we stayed oh, together okay. and you know, it was, it was, it was made very clear to me that I had to do the hard work to become healthy, which right. I mean, I think I'll be doing every day for the rest of my life. Had, had she not seen me doing the hard work, mm -hmm. I wouldn't be here anymore. But what, what eventually kicked me in the butt and got me, you know, to agree to go to rehab was the fact that I knew that I was at the end of the line 
And if I didn't go to rehab, if I didn't get my act together, that I would have been divorced. I would not have got to see my kids very much. I would have lost my house. Who knows where I would have ended up. And when I realized that that wasn't just a possibility, but it was a probability, that was the thing that really kicked me in the butt to uh, get my act together. Gosh. So here's another book right here. Uh, yeah, I actually have book. a short piece in, in Debbie's book um, that I wrote. Another book. He's a porn, porn addict. Now what? An expert in a form of porn addict, you know, that book right there. This is the one that this is the one that has outsold all three other books combined. And right now, viewers, if you're listening, you can get it free on Kindle Unlimited, free on audiobook is a free trial, but the hardcover is 1886 and the paperback is 1835. And you know so, what's funny? I make the least amount of money from the hardcover. I make about 25 cents a copy with a hardcover. Why is that? The production process, it costs so much to make them. Mm. I just wanted, I just, I just thought it was cool to uh, have a book that had a hard cover. None of my others do. Um, but I thought it was cool because I remember going to the library when I was a little kid and seeing right. the books there. One of my, I, I'm a total geek, but one of the things that I still get jazzed at is if I'm in a different city, um, I, if I have time, I'll go to their library and see if they have my books. And it's always, exciting when you see one of your books on a shelf that is in a place that you've never been before but you know your presence has been there you've been maybe helping people there um it's a very cool feeling i understand so i have to purchase that book because every person that comes on the show with books I, I buy i have a book actually right here um i'm single not sorry so like i do purchase every person's book that comes on the show and, you know, go from there, at least, you know, for coming on, helping me out. So I'll help you out as well. But well, if you're looking for the book about porn addiction, this is my book about porn addiction. I'm reading this book about porn addiction for a friend. This is the one if you're an addict, you want to buy it. Uh, this is the one that I wrote this with the idea that not everybody can afford my coaching and mm -hmm. I basically have like my first two sessions of questions of uh, assessments um, in that book. And okay. I am, uh, I have a lot of my clients, they wrote testimonials, you know, changed their name and stuff, but talked That's about their pornography uh, uh, journeys because not everybody's pornography journey is like mine. So mm -hmm. I've got some women talking in there. I've got some older men, some younger guys, um, so hopefully the addict who picks up that book recognizes themselves in the pages, even if even if my story isn't exactly the same as theirs. Well, I know you got to climb. So I have two more questions. So any of us that's not porn addicts, you know, why should we really care about porn addiction? Well, um, first of all, anybody can become an addict and everybody who did become an addict was not an addict at first. And so you, if you're using a lot of porn, you still risk becoming an addict. Um, use too much pornography in self-pleasuring and you can cause things like friction burns. You can cause things like porn-induced erectile dysfunction and, and have some real issues. You know, here's an interesting stat I'll throw at you. Um, when you and I were younger, mm -hmm. um, when we were around 20 years old, the erectile dysfunction rates 
of men who were our age was two to four percent. Today, among 20 year old men, erectile dysfunction rates are among 20 to 25 percent. Mm. It's much, much higher. Well, no, go ahead, go ahead. I'll throw my two cents in after you. I was going to say it's so much higher. And I don't know what it could be aside from pornography that has made uh, erectile dysfunction rates go flying up. And then perhaps the biggest problem with pornography these days is that we give every kid the best porn computer ever created in the mm-hmm. smartphone, send them out into the world. And let's be honest. If you can spell man, sex, and woman, which are probably second grade vocabulary words, mm-hmm. you can see a man having sex with a woman. And But unlike when you and I were kids, if you type in man, goat, sex, you can watch a man having sex with a goat. And that wasn't what we had access to. The problem is the youngest among us, the children, the preteens, the early teens, are watching pornography like they never have before. They are watching so much pornography like they never have before. And for those who aren't in, um, who haven't been in a real sexual relationship, which is almost everybody under the age of 14 or 15, um, they don't know what they're seeing is not real. Kids today are using pornography as sex ed. And, uh, it's coming back. If you go to college campuses and talk to some of the people on college campuses, guys especially are starting to get much more uh, aggressive during sex. Guys are starting to get a lot nastier when it comes to what they say during sex because they're taking their cues from pornography. And let's admit, when it comes to pornography, the guy, he can have his hand around her throat. He can call her nasty names. He can bend her like a pretzel. And that doesn't even talk about how 95% of these films end on her face. Right. That's not real life. That is not real life. No, but the thing is this. Season, correct me if I'm wrong, Ava, I believe it was season two. We actually had a porn creator on here on on the show and he told us about some of the scenes he said you know at the end when it's time to finish if we don't like it you got to go back and do it again yeah it's a job right it's a job that's what people don't realize is that that 12 minute porn uh scene you just watched took two people nine hours to make oh I'm, i'm i'm some questions in the comments somebody said i learned a lot from debbie dallas uh how many people do you think are addicted in the united in the united states it's estimated anywhere between 12 and 18 million Mm, 12 with with more than half of them being under 30 years old Mm. yeah and somebody said it's a lot of anime porn so now we're going to anime so with anime how do we keep our kids away from it besides the norm Besides the norm of just like blocking certain websites off their phone. And that's not going to work anyway, because kids are always smarter than adults when it comes to technology and know how to get around that stuff. What you have to do, in my opinion, is educate your kid. The, The speech about not using porn is not the birds and the bees speech. The speech about not using porn is similar to the don't smoke cigarettes speech, don't drink speech. It's, you know, when you're a kid... 
we don't look at this in our house. When you're older, if you want to look at this, that's fine. But right here, right now, we don't look at this. If I catch you with it, with cigarettes or porn or alcohol, there'll be repercussions um, because it's it can not be good for you, especially if you're a kid. Um, right. You know, there are kids out there who are 15 years old, boys out there who are 15 years old, who have watched so much porn, they're already starting to have erectile dysfunction. I think we've got to educate. You know, I think if you told every 13 and 14 year old boy about porn induced erectile dysfunction, you would see the rates of kids using porn drop. Because if you're going to basically, you know, if you explain to me when I was 14 years old, if I look at too much of this stuff, there's a chance my penis could stop working. Mm. I wouldn't have looked at this stuff. That would have scared the hell out of me. And it's true. You have that, but then you also have, you know, to counter to, to you know, to counter that with, uh, I don't know the name of these pills, but the gas station pills. Uh, I guess they yep. call rhinos and honey packs. And my herb coming up, and for me, it was like it was ginseng. That was me coming up. I don't hear too many people using ginseng anymore. Um, so you have the rhinos. No, I remember that. Packs. I haven't heard of ginseng in years, but I do remember that. <laughs> Yeah, that, that yeah, that was ginseng back in the day, but a lot of people use these other induced things, you know, as far as like gas station pills, honey packs, uh whatever else they use. I, I don't know, but I'm saying that's how they, I guess they countered the ED. And if it works for them, fantastic, but they still have the problem. Just because you take some medicine or take something to cover the problem or cover symptoms doesn't mean you don't still have that problem ignoring the problem is not healthy you know and at the same time that you're having the problem with the erection what's happening in your brain right you know addiction is a brain disease okay it changes the chemistry of your brain that's why it's a disease thankfully if you stay off the stuff long enough your brain can go back to being a, a healthy you know after a certain amount of time um but it's a brain disease and you can try, you know, to treat it here or there. There's a way, you know, there's a way to treat diabetes, but at the end of the day, you still have it. Gotcha. So, you know, just taking medicine to try to mask it or whatnot, it doesn't get to the core problem of why did you become a porn addict in the first place? That's the most important question. The addiction, the looking at porn or playing video games or gambling, these things, these addictions... They are only symptoms of a bigger problem. That bigger problem, 99% of the time, is childhood trauma. Mm. But before we wrap up, because I know you said you had a client at uh, 9 o'clock before we do the I'll be damned. So in your heyday, who was your favorite at the time? Did you have a favorite? Uh, it was it was Christy Canyon. Um, Christy Canyon. Or, or... Um, I was also, and she wasn't truly a porn star, but she did a lot of work with Playboy. She was the Playmate of the Year, I think, in 93, and her name was Lisa Matthews. And I just thought she was the most gorgeous woman I had ever seen. So I got all the Playboy videos that, you know, model videos and stuff of her. Um, I found them in my garage, actually, a few years ago and tossed them all away. Because uh, I don't even know where you'd find a VCR anymore. Um, probably at a, a thrift store. Yeah, but <laughs> I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna start watching VCR <laughs> I, porn I, after I nine it. years of being good. 
I, I know I get it. You did the hard work and you know you got a lot at stake at that, you know, as yeah. far as that. But now, so we come to the point of the show where I be damned, but we tell a horrible day story and we're going to get how Joshua feels about Goodwills have VCRs. Um, how this date went. So where did I put it at? Where did I put it at? I, I put it somewhere. Um, so she been, she said, she's, well, so he wrote in and said, Rod, so I got reconnected with a woman that I'll call Lady Q. We initially met in 2009. Through a mutual friend last year, I found out that she had been inquiring about me from our friend for score. And shortly after being reintroduced, we started to date. Lady Q told me she was divorced and lived with her mother and about an hour or so away from me. I drive out to see her for three or four times a week. We really hit it off. And by our second date, our relationship became physical. After a few weeks of hanging out, Lady Q told me she had a confession. I'm thinking to myself, oh, shit, she's pregnant and immediately started to panic. The good thing is she was not pregnant. Woohoo. However, she revealed to me that she was indeed still married and to make matters worse, she still lived with her husband in the same house that I was picking her up from. What the fuck? I was outraged and, excla and exclaimed to Lady Q how much danger she put me in. What if her husband found out about me or saw us together? What if her husband was following her? What if her husband had a gun? I cut Lady Q off completely, but of course she didn't want things to end. And I had the audacity to say that she was in love with me. Well, she had the audacity to say that she was in love with me. I told her that when her divorce was final, maybe we could talk again. Hell no, I stopped responding to any attempts to contact me until she sent me a message a few months later in December saying her husband put her in the hospital because he received the anonymous letter with suggestive pictures of her. Apparently, this chick was having an affair with multiple men and her husband somehow saw a picture of me and her phone automatically assuming that I, was, that I sent the anonymous letter. I didn't. Fuck my life. Fast forward, New Year's morning. It's 3 a.m. I'm drunk and I'm walking to my apartment when suddenly I hear someone get out of a vehicle behind me. I take a quick glance back and saw the person pull out a gun. It was Lady Q's husband. What the fuck? My instincts kicked in. I immediately started running and then barrage of shots rang out. Fortunately, he was shooting in the air and not directly at me, thank God. And I made it to my apartment bullet free. One woman's lie about her marital status almost cost me my life and the sad thing is lady q still stalks me on facebook and tries to contact me to this day i didn't respond at all the moral of the story is that if you decide to start a relationship with someone ask if they have a significant other or marry if they claim to be separated or divorced ask to see the official paperwork because going in blindly and easily trusting this woman almost put me six feet deep thank you rough for let me tell my story mr thank mr thank god i'm alive and that's the I be damned this week. So um, I'm guessing he summed it up that you don't even have to answer the question because he said, make sure you find the official paperwork first. Yeah. And, and you know, but I still don't understand after a couple of years of being a coach, why the person who is cheated on gets angry with the mistress or the guy who was doing the cheating. Because mo a lot of the time, like in this letter, they don't even know. Yeah. Why should the husband be mad at the partners? It seems like Lady Q is the one who should be getting the his wrath. You know, right. that poor guy didn't know. That poor guy was, you know, he did everything right, you know, cutting her off after the fact. He didn't deserve to be shot at. You know, 
I, not, not that anybody deserves to be shot at, but um, I'll never understand why there's so much hate for uh, the partner of the person who's betraying you, because most of the time they don't even know. Right. Right, right, right. But thank you for coming. Um, and tell if anybody's looking for you, do you have, um, I know a lot of people that come on the show, they have like Facebook groups on Thursday or Wednesday or things like that. They just like do free groups or something. Do you do anything in that nature? Yeah, I do. Um, three or four nights a week. I'm on TikTok doing a free advice for, uh, men and men and women who are porn addicts or are dealing with, uh, betrayal trauma where I'll just take questions from whoever's on and uh, answer them that way. So, you know, if, if you can't afford coaching uh, or if you want to be more anonymous, uh, you can just join me on TikTok most nights at 10 p.m. Eastern. And then I'm also uh, on Instagram several times a day, um, also helping people out. So if people need anything, best way to get in touch with me is that corn coach through TikTok or Instagram. If anybody wants to schedule with me, um, go uh, uh, coaching session, go to my website, which is the letter P as in porn, P Addict Recovery. Let me put it up on the screen, Brother Farilla. I think it's coming up in a second. Yes, Coach Corn. I don't think they're going to let put that porn coach on TikTok. I don't think they're going to let no, them do that. No, and you know what's funny is I, I, I fought getting on TikTok for a while, and that was a mistake because that's exactly where the people need to hear these messages and TikTok because they think the world can't handle it. We can't say the word porn. So we've learned that corn means porn. Well, corn means porn. So thank you for coming, Joshua. And definitely we'll make sure we look at get the book. I'm reading this book about porn addiction for a friend, a guy to understand and assessing pornographic addiction. And he's a porn addict now. What an expert in a former porn addict. Thank you for coming. I know you got someone to meet. Uh, you got a coaching to do in about 15 minutes. Thank you for coming. And that's our show for today. Thanks, Rod. All right. See y'all next week, same time, 8 p.m. with the show coming out the closet. Got the LBGTQ community coming on talking about their stories about how they came out the closet next week. See y'all next week at 8 o'clock. <laughs>